Another race, another accolade to add to the list. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of F1 in Review, the episode and the hour where we discuss the Mexican Grand Prix. I'm Tom Claiborne and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. A reminder that you can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter as well as the F1 in Review accounts where these episodes are posted sporadically once they've gone out on the podcast provider of your choice and also River Radio. So first of all we start off with something which came before this Grand Prix to be honest. This is the news that Red Bull Racing have been fined seven. 7 million US dollars and have had a 10% reduction in wind tunnel time, which is for research and development for those who are interested over the next 12 months or a year. While Aston Martin, who were also found to breach the rules, have been fined. 450,000 US dollars for 12 cases of quote incorrectly excluding and or adjusting costs in their cost cap submission. We're saying as well that Williams were nearly in breach of the cost cap rules but changed it at the last minute and were able therefore to avoid any punishment. It's worth saying as well that both teams accept wrongdoing and have reached an accepted breach agreement with the FIA and therefore they've got these uh, sanctions, shall we say, in terms of wind tunnel time and also uh, financial fines as well. Uh, Red Bull were found to have breached the cap to the tune of 2.2 million US dollars after inaccurately excluding or adjusting a number of their costs and the FIA acknowledged that a tax credit, if it were uh, correctly applied, would have meant that Red Bull would just over half a million over the cost cap uh, limit shall we say finally for me an FIA statement reads as follows there is no accusation or evidence that Red Bull has sought to at any time act in bad faith, dishonesty or in a fraudulent manner, nor has it willingly concealed any information from the COSCAP administration. So what do we make then of Red Bull being found guilty as well as Aston Martin being found guilty to their own omissions of breaking the COSCAP rules for this season or last season, should I say, of the F1 season? Yeah, and what, what an interesting breaking of the rules it is because... When we discussed this a couple of weeks back now, because it has taken them a long time to get to this point, i.e. we now know just to the, the extent in which Red Bull overspent. So every team has to be within the cost cap budget, and unfortunately they've overspent. And we were very harsh, I think. We, we all came down on the side of, of, if you've overspent, you should be quite heavily punished. And I think they have actually quite heavily punished Mm. Red Bull and to, and to be clear I think that you're going to fall down on this particular subject in in one of as a two maybe three if we're feeling nice sort of ways uh, the first is you think that this was not a punishment enough how <laughs> dare they overspend um, you know it doesn't matter what the circumstances are a single penny over the amount and that's it Maximus Schappen should have all of his titles taken away from him. Christian Horner should be fired on the spot immediately. And Red Bull would have to come groveling back in 2025 after a three-year suspension. Gah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we got that. Or, or you are on the side of this was way too harsh. You know, come on. It's only a minor overspend. How how how? could the FIA be so cruel and heartless to poor little Max? All he wanted to do was, you know, make some waves in F1 and win a couple of championships. And look, it's only a tax credit, you know, problem. There's only a smidgy little bit of an overspend. 
Um, how could the FIA be so horrible? And everyone in the FIA should be fired until 2025 when they should come back groveling and on their knees. They should pray to the fans and our omnibenevolence and we will forgive them one by one after they make some sort of minor sacrifice. Um, and I feel like we've had that sort of uh, split bipolar attitude. And I think the FIA have actually come down somewhere in the middle of those uh, whereby it is pretty harsh, uh, the, the penalty. Um, firstly, we should talk about the the aero percentage um, and the, the 10% reduction in wind tunnel time that Red Bull will have. Now, at the moment, the way it works is you get a percentage of um, the maximum aero uh, or the wind tunnel time, um, depending on when you finish it this year. So if, for example... Um, you finish in first place, you get 70% of the uh, 100% um, time for for testing in a wind tunnel. So let's say, let's say for argument's sake, it's 10 days worth, so eight hours a day, so that's 80 hours. Let's imagine for a moment they say, yeah, you're allowed 80 hours total. So first place, you would allow 70% of that 80 hours. Um, third place, you get 80%, so second place, 75%. Third percent, uh, third eighty percent, fourth eighty five percent, fifth ninety percent, sixth ninety five percent, and seventh you get a hundred percent. So if you come in seventh percent, uh, seventh place, you get a hundred percent time of what the FIA says the standard wind tunnel time. Now I I hear what you're thinking, but hold on a minute. You you what happens if you come in eighth, ninth, or tenth? And well, in fact, you get more wind tunnel time than than seventh. So in eighth, you get one hundred five percent of the standard allotted wind tunnel time. Ninth, you get one hundred ten percent, and finally in tenth, last place, you get one hundred fifteen percent of the total wind tu- uh, allotted wind tunnel time, the standard wind tunnel time. And so, what does this mean for Red Bull? Well, what it means is of that seventy percent. Wi- Red Bull have got a 10% penalty applied to that. So they will get 63% of the standard allotted wind tunnel time. So compared to, I'm, I'm going to hedge my bets here, Williams, which is currently sort of in last place, Red Bull will have nearly half the wind tunnel time than they will. And I think that's you know a pretty severe punishment, having that reduction in time to test your aerodynamic performance, I think will impact them. Christian Horner pulled a number out from, I don't know where, I'm going to say a hat for PC purposes, um, and say and said that it was going to lose them about two tenths of a second, which, uh, well, we'll find out how true that is going into the next year. But I, I think he made that up on the spot. Like, oh yeah, it loses two, two tenths of a second. Yes, the cost cap <laughs> question finally resolved. Um... As you as you rightly pointed out, Tristan, there's lots as you, and as you went into with the level of detail. There's lots of layers to this, lots and lots of layers, um, more layers than some people on Twitter seem to have, like you said, because it's either you can't these days apparently you have nuance or be in the middle. You have to be one extreme or the other. Like you're not allowed to have a an opinion which takes into account both sides. Uh, you got to back your horse and then never get off that horse. But on a serious note, I think from my personal point of view. Having initially, I reacted with, I think that my initial reaction was, well, they've overspent, the rule's been put out there, and even if the overspend is minor, which it was, it came in the region of about 1.8 million, which of course doesn't sound minor, but bear, when you bear in mind the overall uh, budget cap spend is in the 140 to 145 million region, that is, is it's very small. That's under 1% of an overspend. Mm-hmm. And... I can see the point of view of people who are saying, well, it's not that much. It's only catering costs. And the other reasons which were put out there was it was catering, sick pay, um, redundancies for employees who'd been on uh, long-term medical leave and other, what some might say are arbitrary reasons. But at the end of the day, I'm still of the view that whilst I I don't think that there needs to be points taken off from the championships, of Verstappen and Red Bull over the last couple of years. I think that would have been an overreaction, realistically. Um, I still think that the punishment perhaps could have been more severe. I think that the fine could have been greater 
I think that's one thing. Seven million dollars again. People say, well, that's a hefty fine, so that's mm-hmm. that's enough. But I think, in terms of, I, I'm comparing it in my head to there's a famous incident back in the first season I watched Formula One 2007, where basically McLaren um, and Ferrari were battling in the championship that, that year, and McLaren basically got passed on secrets to do with the Ferrari car from one of the Ferrari technical chiefs and basically then copied parts of the Ferrari car and then got thrown out of the constructors and fined $150 million, which was a record sports fine at the time and think, I think possibly still is. Mm. Now, I'm not saying Red Bull should have been fined $150 million, not at all, because they have not cheated by taking secrets from another team's car. Yeah. Um, at the same time, they have overspent on a rule which was outlined. And even if Christian Horner has said things like, for example, he said that in 2020, most teams, in fact, all teams except Red Bull, did a practice dry run of the cost cap proceedings with all the auditory processes and the finance calculations as a dry run to see what it would be like. And he just said, we didn't do that. And even if that's the case, surely you should be like, well, that's not our problem. That's like your issue for not having enough foresight to to do that. And the other thing being the fact that they were talking about um yeah this and also the fact that yeah how they just had this dry run like for me it shouldn't be an excuse it shouldn't be or even red bull saying oh it was a mistake on our part like we made an or an, an audit mess up well if that's the case it should be punished more in my opinion i think the fine could have been heftier that's what i'm saying um i'm interested to see how the the aerodynamic wind tunnel sanction affects them because the rules being, like we, like you said, Tristan, how they now have fewer points of aerodynamics which they can, and wind tunnel time which they can use, which happens anyway because a recent ruling has come in in the recent past is that the higher up you finish in the constructors' championship, the less wind tunnel time you get the year after. Now this doesn't completely flip the standings because someone like Red Bull, even with a reduced wind tunnel time, would still produce. Nine times ten, nine nine ten times out of ten, would produce a faster, more aerodynamically efficient car than someone like Haas, who has a much smaller budget and smaller facilities. Anyhow, but Red Bull is so far ahead at the moment. You feel Verstappen once again. Mm. If we go to talk about the on-track matters, which we'll come on to, Verstappen once again dominated the field against a more resurgent Mercedes car, and also a teammate with home support. He once again just. Yeah, dominated. And that's obviously down to the driver, but that's a car as well, which gives him the facilities to just frankly wipe the floor with the field sometimes. So whether that affects Red Bull too much, like, we'll we'll see, really. Some might say, well, Mercedes wiped the floor with the field in 2020, and then in 2021, Red Bull were on their tail, and it was nip and tuck for the, between them the whole year. And yes, that could happen next year, but... At this point in time, you think, will the aerodynamic cut down, wind tunnel time cut down, affect Red Bull that much? And it's very easy to see a scenario where they come out next year and they're still quicker. And then from then, it'd be interesting to see what people think and whether the punishment suffices. Um, and also, like, where we go from here in terms of if we had a similar overspend in the future, would the same punishment be put down on a team? If there was a bigger overspend, let's say a team, this is fancy full, but let's say a team overspent by $10 million hmm. and they've properly messed up, would they then have the absolute book thrown at them? Who knows? I feel like the FIA has been, in some parts, it's given out a justified punishment. I think the wind tunnel time overall is fair. And they shouldn't have been draconian, even though Christian Horner says this is draconian. I'm not buying that personally. Mm. Um, <laughs> but obviously he's got a biased point of view, being the team principal. Yeah. Um, but I feel like the fine could have been bigger. That's my one thing with it. Seven million for a team like Red Bull seems like, I don't want to say it seems like peanuts, but I think that there could have been a greater chance to put down a stronger penalty. But I think that perhaps overall it satisfies quite a few people in the paddock, realistically. I agree, and I can't quite believe I'm saying this over the last year. After the last few episodes, I should say, but I actually think the FAA have done a pretty good job with this. 
when you look at their financial punishment coupled with the wind tunnel deduction yeah, for Red Bull next season I think they've actually got a nice balance really because for context this is the second biggest fine in F1 history if you look back to let's say the Racing Point pink Mercedes fine more recently that was not even half a million and then you as you mentioned there Angus the Spygate one was a uh, hundred million if not in excess so I think seven million is good in of itself because it is a strong deterrent for the future I think as well when you look at someone like Aston Martin who have also been fined for a procedural breach not a cut and dry overspend but for literally putting in their submission wrong they've been fined close to half a million US dollars so that is a deterrent in of itself not only not to overspend but also to make sure you submit everything correctly you don't take liberties and you make sure you follow the book as everyone else has done but coupled with that with the wind tunnel time deduction that in real terms now means that Red Bull have 25 runs versus 28 and it's looking like Williams will be the last place in the constructors they'll have 46 so there is a clear gap there between let's say the top and the bottom it's designed as it is to make sure there's more a level playing field but when you consider that Red Bull have 25 versus Ferrari having 30 and then Mercedes 32 you're comparing Red Bull with two like-for-likes when it comes to Ferrari and Mercedes in terms of their manpower, in terms of their resources, in terms of their drivers as well. So I think that is quite a, a clear punishment and we could see this moving forwards having ramifications in terms of next season. But I think there's part of the sort of Formula 1 community who aren't going to be happy with this fine until they see Red Bull either not win a race or not win a championship, which is impossible to do or to make certain because of the talent they have both in the car and then also Adrian Newey and co behind the scenes. So the idea that we're not going to go and see Red Bull being demoted to third or fourth place, there's no certainty in that. But then again, just because they don't go on to become second or third or don't not win a championship next year doesn't mean the punishment is insufficient or weak or doesn't deter in the future because... This is, as the FIA have said themselves, a minor breach of the cost cap submission and the, I suppose, the submission they had to put forwards as well. So in that regard, a £7 million US dollar fine is quite hefty, which, yes, Red Bull could swallow that to an extent, but when you couple that with a wind tunnel time uh, submission and the reduction there, there's no way they can escape this. But if if this were to be just a financial fine, it would be more easy for them to do so. So in that regard, I think they have got that right. But then again, as we say, there's speculation moving forwards in terms of what would a major financial breach do in terms of ramifications, in terms of uh, a sanction, in terms of something like that. I think what the FIA need to do moving forwards is clearly lay out if you breach the cost cap submission by X amount or by a certain amount more than this, then it will result in X, Y, or Z. Because if they don't do that, there's a danger that they could be accused by some of making it up as they go along, which I don't think they've done in this regard because it's taken them, first of all, quite a, a serious length of time for them to come to together and to put forward a submission this has also been reached with the team as well so it's not like they're slapping down something that's draconian as Christian Horner says because the teams themselves have accepted wrongdoing so they've reached an amicable agreement where each party is listening to the other and they come to one where it goes well that's fair enough that is a fine that's going to a damage us from one extent in terms of the FIA saying well this is a punishment this is a sanction but then it's not going to be one that seriously cripples the team and it falls down to let's say 8th 9th or 10th because if we set a precedent where you seriously punish a team both on the track and off the track for what is as the FIA say themselves a minor breach of the rules and something which wasn't done in a fraudulent manner or done to ultimately beat, beat the competition by cheating then you set a dangerous precedent of teams falling down the order and then potentially dropping out of the sport. Because if this were to happen, let's say, to a smaller team or a team that wasn't as invested in Formula 1, well, they may go, well, we've only just broken the rules by a small amount. It wasn't a malicious act we've done. And here we are struggling to keep our head above water. So I think they've done the right balance there. I think any more than 7 million in terms of, let's say 20 or 25 would in my view be excessive but 7 million and a multi-layer approach in my mind is quite fair really but it remains to be seen what happens now in terms of whether the deterrent is strong enough for what comes next if another team does breach it more than Red Bull have done and Aston Martin as well. 
you know what this feels like? It it feels like going back to 2019 before, well, before all of this kicked off, before uh, the infamous Michael Massey scenes of last year and, and when the biggest, I suppose, the biggest argument in Formula 1 was how Ferrari was so fast and the 2019 engine investigation that mm. occurred because everyone in the paddock were wondering, really, why... Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc were so fast in their Ferraris and the FIA sort of investigated off the back of that, although I don't think there was a formal protest by the team because the te- the teams couldn't really work out how and so they, they hadn't yet formalised a complaint. But the FIA investigated Ferrari anyway and subsequently a technical directive um, was issued and a, a second fuel flow sensor was installed on the engines and there was this famous you know, settlement between the FIA and Ferrari and there was outrage in the community that Ferrari had you know obviously done something against the rules they said and and, and it's unfair that Ferrari were going to go through the season with this out of spec engine and and how dare they because they're going to have such an advantage going into 2020 and of course 2020 rolled round ferrari's engine was massively down on power clearly the technical directive and changes to the rules but um you know had impacted them severely and everyone kind of dropped it Mm. and everyone was ah ferrari's so slow ah (laughs) if you're a ferrari fan sucks to be you you know this sort of thing and and so clearly what the fia did it's you know it, it did intercept ferrari on some way and did force them to make changes to make the the engines closer should we say to the rules i'm not i'm not totally sure what as, as anything anyone is apart from ferrari and sure what actually changed but chances are they limited the fuel flow in some way um and so i feel like we're gonna have the same thing here where because Red Bull have yet to be impacted by the penalty. We're going to have, you know, commentators from the sidelines shouting about how it's not going to impact them. And until mm. next year, when we find out whether or not the the uh, penalty it has or will impact Red Bull, these voices aren't going to die down. But I'm willing to bet you they will if if Red Bull come out of the gates and are three tenths down from everyone else. And Christian Horner stands there and says, "Well, it's because we couldn't get enough wind tunnel time." I, I, I won't, I won't hear those voices saying, "Oh, I'm sorry for being so angry <laughs> about mm-hmm. this. I'm sorry for shouting so loudly." And yeah, I guess if it doesn't impact Red Bull, then the FIA will revise it. But as you say, Tom, we do need to know what the penalties will be, depending on the severity of the cost cap breach. I have no idea what the penalty for Red Bull would have been if they had exceeded the cost cap by more than 5%. If it had been a major breach of the cost cap, what happens if it's 10%, 20%? Does it does mm. it scale? If you just if you do 100% extra of the um of the budget cost cap. If you were to spend 140 million extra on top of the 140 million extra, um, budget that you had for this year, what would the penalty for that be? I assume disqualification, but nobody actually knows. Mm. So, as it, it feels a bit like what we went through in 2019 with the whole rigmarole of, of what it felt like the FIA making it up to restrict Ferrari and no one really knowing what that settlement will be. This one's a bit more in the public, but in reality, we need to have. A, a table, if you'd like, of severity and adequate punishments so that all the teams are playing by the same rules when they enter into the next year. Because otherwise, teams could take liberties with the expectation that they won't be penalised as much as, as they, they, you know, or we would expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and here's a question for you both. Do you think that if there is a more severe breach moving forwards, or indeed for the breach that's been accrued by both Aston Martin and by Red Bull, should there be a hangover in terms of minus points for the Constructors' Championship they start on next season, i.e. should they be both in ninth and 10th, let's say, Aston Martin with 
for argument's sake, minus 15 points and Red Bull with minus 25 because, after all, it's the teams that have broken the rules, not the drivers. Do you think that's fair or are you surprised that's not on the table or not been put forward by the FIA? That's an interesting proposal. I think that it's a bit like in, I'm thinking you're, um, you're thinking there about football, possibly, where they if there's a financial breach, for example, if a club has to go into administration, then they start the season on minus points. Um I think that's that's one solution that could actually work in terms of putting teams off breaking the rules when it comes to the cost cap. Um, I think that would still that would work still though best if it dovetailed with dove, yeah dovetailed with a fine and also with some sort of like financial uh, further financial penalty. That could work to be fair, and I think that I it, it, but again it's one of those where ironically I feel like it would have to be verified by the teams and would the teams agree I don't know but that's not a bad suggestion to be fair well there is precedent for the deduction of points and again throwing our and uh, casting our minds back just a little bit racing point um which are now Aston Martin in 2020 were deducted 15 points at the end of a season uh, due to the, the the rules and the legality mm-hmm. over their car, it was back in the days when Racing Point copied um, the Mercedes car, and I believe it was their their brake ducts. It was a part of the car mm. which you couldn't copy through lines of sight. They would have had to have obtained the technical drawings. Right, this was deep within the car. Uh, or deep within the wheels and so you couldn't just see it so they must have taken technical drawings and the FIA turned around and said right you're getting a 400,000 euro I say that like a parrot like you know some sort of <laughs> naughty on the naughtiest uh, racing point uh, but they got 400,000 euro fine and deducted 15 world championship points which eventually left left them um, losing a place, losing to McLaren, I believe, that year. Maybe one of you can look that up as I'm, I'm speaking. And, you know, that had serious knock-on consequences for them. And I think in 2021 as well, they, they still had problems with the braking and the cooling system because they had to engineer their own system from then going forward. And they couldn't access the technical directives from Mercedes. Very interesting that Mercedes didn't get, get um, fined for that. I do... I still think they probably should have because they must have obtained them from someone in Mercedes um, unless there's like spying going on. But anyway, so to answer your question, Tom, in a very long and rambly sense, I apologize. (laughs) Um, There is precedent for points and world championship points being deducted. I am I'm almost surprised the FIA didn't deduct points this time, but perhaps they felt that there was no cheating or no malice there from Red Bull. But yes, I do believe that if you cheat by a significant margin, points should be deducted from either the season before or, as you suggest, going into the next season. I I think if you had a massive advantage, let's take Red Bull, for example. And I apologise, Red Bull. Uh, I'm picking on you because you're at the front of my mind. Um, Let's imagine Red Bull had breached it by 15%. Mm. So that would be, you know, a, a significant breach. You know, nearly 20 million or so. Um, dollar breach then they might say right well we're gonna we're gonna make sure that you are heavily impacted so the reduction of wind on time massive fine but also we're deducting 30 world championship points from your total next year mm-hmm. um, which I think they could do because they have already deducted world championship points from for example racing point and I think that would be a significant deterrence my, my only thing though I think it would be a penalty that perhaps would negatively impact the slower teams for lack of a better word, or, or the teams that are falling in the lower places simply because they can't make up the points um, deficit as easily as a massive team would be able to. I mean, let's be fair to the FIA. For all we know, they could have proposed a points deduction forward-looking or retrospectively as part of their breach agreement with uh, be it Aston Martin, Red Bull or both. And they both said, or either of them said, no, no chance. 
give us more of a fine in terms of the financial sense or give us more wind tunnel time deduction or deduce our wind tunnel time more should I say than um, give us some uh, sort of drawback on our points maybe that's what happened we'll never know but um, I suppose moving forwards if there is a more serious breach we can see whether the FA are willing to push the issue of points deduction because as you say they've done it before and they could well do it again. And staying with Red Bull in some sort of sense, their driver Max Verstappen won his 14th race this season at Mexico just days ago. And you'd be forgiven for thinking, so what? You know, standard procedure for him to win a, a winner race this season. But no, this Grand Prix win was special because it means that Max Verstappen has now won the most race wins in a single season of F1, passing the lesser-known drivers of Michael Schumacher and Sebastian Vettel. Uh, so what do we make <laughs> then of the Dutchman smashing that record when it comes to surpassing more modern Formula One heroes, record breaking, literally, and it's crazy to think that he's managed to do that in one season. Um, it's also crazy to think that at the start of the year we were talking about Ferrari versus Red Bull, Verstappen versus Leclerc, a Titanic battle, a Titanic like season coming up ahead, and we're sitting here now with Verstappen having won fourteen out of twenty races which is utterly ridiculous, mm. utterly, utterly ridiculous. For context, I've just looked looked this up in the last couple of minutes. The re- So obviously, like you said, the record amount of wins in one season is, th- well, now 14. It was 13 by Michael Schumacher and Sebastian Vettel, who got 13 each in one season. Only two drivers in F1 history have a higher win percentage than Verstappen in one season one of them's a bit unrepresentative Alberto Ascari won six races out of eight in 1952 so he had uh, more he had more opportunities to get a higher percentage but Michael Schumacher won 13 out of 18 races in 2004 therefore giving him a 72.22 win percentage which Verstappen if he won the last two races could go past and effectively hold he would hold the record for a season greater than eight races um, in terms of win percentage and yeah I mean to be honest we've we've been over this many times at various points you almost run out of superlatives to describe Verstappen like this is another race where yes he had the fastest car and yes he was in a position where he had it, it fell into his lap but he had things which were going against him he had a quick Mercedes who looked like they may have been on the better strategy at certain points in the Grand Prix Mm-hmm. He had a, a start from pole position where, you know, st- the longest run down to the first corner all season and therefore an inherent disadvantage in terms of being able to give everyone behind him a toe and a sort of a, a almost like a leg up on the way down to turn one. And also bear in mind, amongst these 14 wins, this was only his sixth pole position of the whole year. Six wi- Six poles, 14 wins is ridiculous in my opinion. Because it shows how strong his racecraft is and how strong of an overall driver he is to be up near the front of the grid and then deliver on race day. And also, all those times where he's not been near the front of the grid, as in that trio of races, Hungary, Belgium, Italy, where he started 10th, 14th and 7th. And he still won. He still came through the field. He still smashed it out of the park. Um and when you compare, I said about six six poles, 14 wins. When you compare that to Charles Leclerc, who has nine poles but only three wins, that shows how dominant Verstappen has been in races um, and how he's been able to harness his car's ability and just really harness its um, its speed and its power to his advantage. Other ridiculous stats, he's won eight out of the last nine races, once again, like crazy. Um, that's since Ferrari took their last win. He just dominates races. He won this one by 15 seconds. He nursed those tyres for, what, 41 laps or something from the time when he put them on, or even more possibly. And that um, that link you sent us, Tristan, of his lap times of the whole race, where he was he was within the same one second. He was in the 1 minute 22s for, if you take out the virtual safety car, he was in that for... 43 consecutive laps in the same like one second barrier which is incredible consistency like realistically you see drivers lap times over a stint sometimes dropping into like dropping off or easing off but he was just persist persistently consistent literally Mm -hmm. and 
He's breaking records all over. He's still he's still so young as well. He's 25, for goodness sake. He's mm. not even at his peak. And it could go two ways. It could go the Sebastian Vettel way, where he hits his peak really early and then goes down a slippery slope. And as a combination of like that and uh, cars not being suited to him. But like at the moment, this, this, this has definitely the impression of Verstappen becoming the dominant driver of this generation. And we I remember we had a discussion in the past about the next generation, like the championship battles between Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, George Russell, Carlos Sainz, to name a few, Lando Norris, to name a few. At this rate, we're not going to see those battles because this man's just going to keep on hoovering up race wins. Um, he's got 34 of them already. The names above him in the all-time list, Hamilton, Schumacher, Senna, Prost, Vettel. Not bad. Um, so he's got like he's got so much time to extend these records so much time to get even better I think we've seen last year the Verstappen that won the championship was still a bit more um, a bit more impulsive a bit more not agitated he was still a lot more of a mature driver because clearly he was up for and won a championship fight but this year we've just seen a ruthless relaxed dominant Verstappen. I feel like all year he hasn't even really needed to be. I remember last year distinctly he was very aggressive in racecraft towards Lewis Hamilton hmm. um, and Valtteri Bottas, the Mercedes. But this year I feel like he's been so far ahead all the time. He's been on another planet. And even when he has had to come through, he's been so calm and calculated with his racecraft. He has not had any bumps or shunts. His two retirements came from mechanicals. Um other than Singapore, where he had an off day, he's been flawless in every race, pretty much. Um, I say flawless. He spun in a he spun in Hungary, still won. So, <laughs> like the man's just like, yeah, he's an absolute machine. And Mexico City Grand Prix this weekend was another example of that. And yeah, he's just he's just on a one man domination mission at the moment, and I can see that continuing because he's in utterly ridiculous form. He is a a sports person, a sportsman at the top of their art, the top of their craft. And I think whilst people will complain and say that, may say that it's getting a bit repetitive, I think at the same time it's good to appreciate when someone is right at the top of their game. Um, in, in their, not just in sport, but just in, their, in their profession in general. And that's certainly what he is right now. He's um, seeming unstoppable. Yeah, absolutely, he is, and it's such a shame you got there before me when it came to reading out the uh, the consistency of Max Verstappen, because it was absolutely insane, and I mean, I think we were all very, very surprised by the fact that Max Verstappen could stay on those medium tyres for such a long time, mm-hmm. and well, from from our perspective, have no degradation in performance. And that's actually pretty ridiculous. I mean, that's from lap 27 to lap 71 on the set of mediums. And those are not designed. Well, theoretically, they're not designed to go that far. Clearly, Pirelli did manage to design a tyre that could. And it surprised us all. I think it even surprised Mercedes, who were basically counting on those tyres um, wearing down. They the The race engineers kept saying to um Lewis Hamilton and George Russell oh no it's okay they're gonna lose performance they're gonna lose performance don't <laughs> you worry they're gonna get slow and that will be your time to strike because they were on the hard tires which are designed to go for much longer and it never happened for some reason the Mexican Grand Prix just had incredibly low tire degradation uh, it was a bit it was a bit bizarre really so we we not only I think did we have Max Verstappen's incredible performance and racecraft but also yet again red bull's strategy team managed to pull something out of the bag and they weren't the only one to do really really well mclaren uh, managed to also capitalize on that by giving daniel ricardo softs at the end which gave him a fantastic turn of speed so red bull definitely again had that you know double threat you have Max Verstappen, who is an incredibly talented racing driver, paired with 
a team that can get their act together, which I think Ferrari is looking at going, oh, and that'd be nice. Because currently, it seems like they've only got the, the talent in, in the cars at the moment. And, I mean, Ferrari would know to be seen. And and so, I think it was, and maybe you might say it was a bit of a gamble that Red Bull did this, and they should have had to have stopped again, because even Pirelli said that the fastest strategy was soft, medium, medium, or and things like that. They was, you know, suggesting you stop twice mm. to get the fastest possible strategy. But Red Bull showed that yet again they read the read the track and it paid off fantastically. I mean, in, in other sports like golf, we talk about reading the greens and, you know, testing for wind and things like that because you're supposed to assess your circumstances to, to play the unpredictable shot sometimes or to to optimize your shots and i feel like that's what red bull is able to do this year perfectly they are able to read the track read the weather and we paired with max verstappen who seems to have in the face of adverse you know adversity a uncanny ability to just fight back uh, as it was in the circus of america or this race to pump out the same lap time over and over and over again it reminds me of the michael schumacher days mm. when he would put in qualifying lap times t- uh, lap after lap after lap and that's something that has to be absolutely respected here so i'm not surprised that he has gone on to to beat the the, the overall record for the number of race wins this season it's worth mentioning, I think, out of respect to the those who he has, has now beaten for this record, that 2022 has the largest and you know, longest calendar um, at 23 races. Whereas, for example, in 2019, there was only 21 races. So, you know, Max does actually have more opportunities to win races. And that also feeds into points as well, because he now has the most points ever scored in a single season mm-hmm. and you know there are more points up for up for grabs he's now got 416 points so it, by the end of the season i could see him perhaps winning another couple of races i mean it, is it beyond him to win brazil followed by abby dabby not at all not at all i could easily do it for sure <laughs> Yes, I mean, congratulations to Verstappen. I did not see this record being broken because I, first of all, didn't know the record of 14 or 13, as was races, was the record for a number of races won in one season. And I was kind of surprised, really, that it was only Schumacher and Vettel, I say only, but only those two drivers who were holding that accolade jointly. I somehow thought that Hamilton would be up there, albeit, you know, perhaps surpassing them as well after breaking so many other records and being so close last season but perhaps that just shows that um with a bit of revisionism if you will we need to go and look at Valtteri Bottas's time at Mercedes and go oh well if he was able to keep Hamilton below winning 13 races in one season in a modern Formula 1 season as well or calendar which are far larger uh, and bigger as you said there Tristan than let's say the old uh, Formula 1 calendars when someone like Fangio was racing for example so this is a very much a, a modern metric to go and measure the great drivers of our time but I I think that Verstappen is only going to grow and grow in terms of points, in terms of race wins, be it this season and next season as well. You know, hinting at the cost cap there, I don't think that's going to slow him down too much because of, let's say, his racecraft ability and the power and the consistency that he's shown at this race and really throughout the entire season. And because he's backed up by some of the best in Formula One and in terms of designing a competitive car at Adrian Newey and company, really. So... Congratulations to uh, Verstappen there, as I say. I think he will now go on to, to dominate Formula 1. It's a question now of whether, as Angus said there, the Leclerc's, the Norris's, the Hamilton's, the Russell's can keep up with this person because it's not only a case of having a very good team, it's extracting the very best out of that car that you have because, as we've said so many times, Red Bull probably don't have the fastest car when it comes to just raw pace. Routinely, we see Ferrari topping the timesheets when it comes to Fridays and Saturdays, but it's a Red Bull, i.e. Verstappen and occasionally Perez, that comes through to claim it where it really matters. So that's the dangerous thing. It's not just a case of... uh, It's not just a case of... Sorry. 
it's not just a case of Verstappen having the fastest car and rinsing that and using that to his advantage when other cars are behind him and dilapidated when it comes to power and performance. It's him taking what's good and making it great, really. So that's what we've seen from the very best in Formula 1. We see it with Vettel, we see it with Alonso now, not having the best cars, but pulling the very best out of them. Hamilton as well, perhaps not so much in this year, but in years gone by, he's not always had the fastest car. Look at McLaren, for example, back in 2007-2008, regularly causing serious uncomfort there for competitors and other cars as well, really. So that's the real in my mind, the real litmus test of a, a great driver who isn't a great driver to be, because it's one thing to do it in a great car, it's another thing to do it in a good car or a fairly good car. So, yes, everyone's got to catch up, but um, I don't see that happening this season. It may be a while until we see somebody else take over from being the dominant force in Formula 1. I think there are the drivers out there with the capability to do that, but... Ferrari need to pull themselves together in more ways than one. Mercedes need to improve themselves as well. We know that it's always heavily hinted at, should I say, that Hamilton will likely remain in the sport. Um, there's hints of him signing a multi-year contract coming up. So can he sort of row back the ears, if you will, and pull out the best of what is unlikely to be the very best car because we've got Ferrari doing so well in terms of what they can produce as a package. Red Bull as well. And Mercedes playing catch-up with the new set of rules. So... Roll on the next few years, it's going to be very interesting to see who can claim the top prize in both championships, really. And while I'm talking about Mercedes and them rolling back the years or lean to in the future, they did this very much on Saturday when they qualified in P2 and 3 and did quite well in the race as well. P2 and 4 in terms of their finishing positions. Hamilton in 2nd, he came from 3rd and Russell falling down to 4th and 2nd after a poor start there. It's worth saying they both started on the mediums when the bulk of the front runners were on the faster, softer tyres. And around sort of lap 26, lap 27, as we sort of mentioned earlier there, Hamilton was catching Max sort of two seconds behind him, give or take. But once Verstappen pitted, Hamilton went for hards and that really was that in many ways. There was the chance, the window of opportunity, and it closed very much in Mercedes' face. There a chance to win their first ever Grand Prix, maybe, in the eyes of many. Do you think that they missed a trick there in terms of not capitalising on what was probably, if not their best, then certainly a great qualifying record when it comes to this season and comparing where they have been previously in earlier races. Just don't think they have the speed. It would have taken something really magical, right, for, for Mercedes to have pulled out a win from that, given everything we know that occurred, not just the, the strategy. I mean, the, I think the best hope would have been to listen to George Russell actually during the race. And uh, feel free to disagree with me. But George said, I don't want to come in for hard tyres. They started on the mediums, um, Mercedes, which you know, Red Bull starting on the softs gave them the advantage in the early stint. Red Bull you know, chose that path and Mercedes went, right, we're going to choose a different path. We're going to start on the mediums. That gives you longevity. And then the idea being that you then overcut your competition, i.e. you stay out longer and whilst your competition then has to heat up their uh, slightly harder compound tyres because Red Bull started on softs and then, then they have to heat up their mediums Mercedes stay out a bit longer come in, change and I thought to the softs, brilliant, that means they take a short amount of time to, to heat up but then you're on the softer compound the stickier compound, the faster compound whilst you're you know, your competition is on the slower compound, you're on the faster ones, overtake them, boom, you win. But uh, that's not what happened. And I think that's what George wanted to happen. Um, and they pitted both of them, you know, George and Lewis onto the hard tyres. And in the end, both drivers sort of just fell back. And what was bizarre to me was they made both drivers do the same thing. And I don't know if this was just an accidental slip or they didn't want one driver to feel a bit hurt that the other had had this performance advantage or whatever. But if I'm Mercedes and I'm thinking, right, this is probably our best chance for a while to win a race. And mm. we've got two drivers, one of which is desperately calling for a different strategy. Don't you say, OK, we've got nothing to lose here. We'll... Uh, 
we'll try it. But, you know, on your head be it, George, and your head be it. And in the end, I think it actually would have worked out really well for George, given that what we know about the low degradation in, in Mexico. So I think absolutely, Tom, they missed a trick. I think they had an opportunity to try something new, even if it was close, even if they didn't win. But we saw this amazing, you know, pace advantage strategy. We'd be sitting here thinking, yeah, actually, do you know what? You tried something really, really good and it didn't pay off. But we saw how it was going to play out if you had a bit longer, whatever. But instead, they sort of went a bit conservative. Ferrari were nowhere to be seen. And Mercedes, instead of trying something new, knowing that they had a bit of, you know, a space advantage, didn't bother. Hmm. And in the end, pitted George to get him his fastest lap, which shows you that they had a free pit stop by the end of the race. So they, you know, as I say, nothing to lose. Even if they had to pitted George again, right? The deficit, the time deficit by the end of the race means he was safe. Even if you protected Lewis Hamilton by giving him a conservative strategy, just getting him to the end of the race, banking those points, I think they had an opportunity with George to do something magic. But they decided against it. And I think that was a bit of a shame and a bit of a departure from the Mercedes that we know. They didn't go for an aggressive strategy, but starting on the mediums, I felt like they really had to. So I don't know. I don't know what went on in Mercedes, but I think they'll be kicking themselves. I would be. It's interesting because I think... I'm of the view, realistically, that there was one thing which stopped Mercedes from winning, and it wasn't their lack of pace. I think that thing is called Max Verstappen. But obviously, we've we've waxed lyrical about him plenty so far this podcast. So I want to dedicate a bit more time to Mercedes and their um, and their race. I think at the end of the day, they had a strategy which they thought would work. They thought would come through to them they thought would make the race fall, not fall in their lap, but sort of come towards them, I guess. And that was a fair point of view to have based on the way that, like, I think at the end of the day, when you have a, a debate between drivers and strategists on the radio, I think it's incredibly difficult for strategists to go with a driver's gut feeling because at the end of the day, championships are won on many things. But one of those factors is good core strategists and engineers who have systems and methodologies for working out the best way to win a race, to get to the end of a race in the shortest possible time. And I think if I was in that team, I would be more inclined to trust a bunch of strategists who have all those calculations in front of them, as opposed to a driver's gut feel. And whilst, of course, the driver is another one of those components to a successful championship-winning team, I think that, with the greatest respect to George Russell, I think the strategists are more likely to know what they're doing when it comes to strategy. I mean, it, oh, it's in their name. I just said it in that sentence. It's in their name. So I think that whilst he may have been frustrated that they didn't go with his way or try something different, I think that... At the same time, they may have felt that there was... I know Ferrari were, Ferrari were well off it the whole weekend. But I think that it's something which, even then, you're putting yourself at risk of being behind Ferrari and then compromising your race even more. Like, Mexico isn't tr isn't a easy place to overtake. I know they got that massive, long pit straight, but you have lots of tight and twisty sections as well, such as the stadium section and the bit at the back end of the circuit where there's tight corners. So track position is key, and I think that losing track position in that scenario wouldn't have been beneficial at all for them. So I can see why they didn't go with what Russell said, realistically. Um, and with Hamilton's strategy, I just think, yeah, once again, they were just outdriven by a driver in supreme form who was able to hold on on medium tyres for 46 laps or something like that, whatever it was, possibly longer. So... You know, I think that Mercedes didn't necessarily mess this one up. It looks, it comes across as worse because, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but 20 races in and Mercedes have not won a race this season, which is like crazy. First time in 11 years I've been able to say that. Um, and there's more scrutiny, I think, on them because they haven't won that race. They haven't got that race win out of the way. And Austin was one where they thought they'd go well. They didn't. Uh, 
go massively well. That realistically, they I thought they they went did okay, but they needed um, Verstappen's slow pit stop to be back in the picture. And Mexico is one where we thought, oh, we they probably won't go so well. But then in the end, they went really well because the whole thing of um, the high altitude, which thins the air and makes the engine um, the difference in engine performance less, which in the past years used to shaft Mercedes this year shafted Red Bull a bit Mm. so that brought Merck back into contention I think for those reasons the fact that we were like oh they could win a race this weekend they're second and third they got the long run down to turn one they could have got pole had mistakes not been made and we're like oh hang on something's brewing here something's brewing for Mercedes but then it's probably just our view our views are skewed when we look at it and we see the end result having had our expectations so high and the fact that they haven't yet won a race. Uh, that was a shame, wasn't it? I really did hold that hope that via strategy and not via performance, because we know that Mercedes are still lacking in that versus an all-firing Red Bull and Verstappen, that they could have, by hook or by crook, got themselves the first race win. I think it would be a failure of a season if they don't get that win, because there have been chances, and yes, they are lower on their overall package versus two other constructors. But Mercedes have two great drivers. They have a great team behind them. And they have, in some parts, you could say, had chances to go and win races. You could go and look at this one, for example. Go back to the Dutch Grand Prix as well. Singapore, when you look at qualifying in isolation, they have had half chances, but chances nonetheless. And... The start was so important, wasn't it? And when I saw Russell sort of get onto the curbs and sort of the the car catapult itself back on to the tarmac, I thought, oh, this doesn't look good. Uh, and then him falling down to fourth and Perez coming into the fight and then making it two versus two in terms of constructors was always going to be an uphill battle. But I did think it was a bit disappointing that Mercedes didn't show ambition, aggression, and were far more conservatives as... Tristan hinted at there because it would be look historically and when I say historically I mean the Dutch Grand Prix for example you had George Russell going right let's go for the softs and they said no no we're going to go for the mediums he said no let's go for the softs and what happened well George Russell got himself a mighty fine P2 Hamilton stuck with the mediums if memories uh, serves me correctly and he was then nowhere to be seen so I think that there was a case of why not learn from the past, i.e. Russell has made good calls in the past about let's dump these older tyres for softs and let's do it this way. Because, And it's easy to say, I suppose, the hards have always been this season very slow to fire up. And we saw this again. It's easy for me to say after the event. But we've seen throughout the entire of this calendar, really, that mediums and softs are seemingly the way to go. They get a good balance of raw pace. And then also they're fairly durable as well. And when you look at the um, mediums and don't give away too much, I suppose, in terms of, I suppose, the pace and the durability sort of balance is more the sort of Goldilocks if you will of the of the tyre world but um, it was always going to be difficult always going to be a tall order but Mercedes I, th- I think really they've been semi-traumatised by the season in a small sort of way from a team strategy perspective they've almost seen how low they've been in terms of sort of relativity in terms of third place by default not really competing with the two constructors above them but still being good enough to not be drawn into the midfield pack in mm. splendid isolation and they've gone blimey this has been a really rough season let's just bank any points we can get and just hope that something else happens to another car in terms of reliability which is not a foolish way to look at the situation because Mercedes have been uber uber reliable when it comes to their power units to their cars the only times they've been out of races is owing to collisions and crashes so i understand the logic but it is a bit disappointing to see mercedes regress and almost be scarred by their lack of performance and go let's just take any points we can get so hopefully that is something that doesn't continue to rumble on for seasons to come i don't think it will be i think that the new regulations have shocked them and they'll be back to their sort of former selves i.e competing for race wins on merits versus anything else but yeah when you had a one two in terms of P2 and 3 versus 1 driver we've seen historically 2 versus 1 is such a a powerful sort of battle or strategy to your advantage if you can create those circumstances and on Saturday they did have the chance to go and execute that moving into Sunday because if they 
isolated Perez away from the battle and sort of got Max on his own, they would have had a good chance there. And, as we saw, no Ferraris anywhere to be seen in terms of the top four or five, which they've had a rough season as well. But that's a rarity because they've always qualified well, as we hinted at earlier. But um, this Grand Prix was not one of them. And it seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 36 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one. Be up this on your preferred podcast provider or via River Radio, be that live or via the Listen Back feature. The Brazilian Grand Prix is next, but that's two weeks away. So we'll be back next week to unpack more things that came from the Mexican Grand Prix and no doubt a whole range of other issues next week like... I don't know, maybe the Haas and Williams seats for next year, if they're finalised. So until next time, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week.